0: This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Pray with me, please. Father, we do come to you this morning to worship, to acknowledge you. Father, to hear from you in response to our prayers that we offer up, the words of the songs that we offer up. Father, we offer this word now up to you and we pray that it would bear witness in our lives, it would bear witness in lives of others around us, it would bear witness in the lives of our kids, our friends and neighbors, Father, that's our hope. That's our plea to you this morning, that as your word comes to us this morning to encourage us, that it would bear witness of encouragement to others around us in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. How many of you have been to the mall in Washington, D.C.? Most of you? Good. Um, the mall is a very interesting place. Um, it bears witness to something. It bears witness to the fact that we were founded as a Christian and judeo nation. Judeo-Christian nation. Um, The evidence of that is everywhere. On one side of the mall stand uh, the uh, Lincoln Memorial and uh, Jefferson Memorial. Um, On the Abraham Lincoln Memorial etched in stone there is uh, an entire address which uh, ends with the fact that we are one nation under God. Also, cast or carved in stone, there is his second inaugural address. And in that address, a dozen times he talks about the will of God. He, he's trying to bring a country together that's divided. He's, and he's saying, we, It's God's will that we be united. It's, it's God's sovereignty that brought us here. He mentions God repeatedly, and it is etched in stone on that monument. Likewise, with the Jefferson Memorial. On three of the facades where things are carved, one of them starts with, We hold these things to be self evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Another one of the walls starts off with, Almighty God has created the mind free. Another one of the walls starts off with the words, God who gave us life and liberty. So, are we a Christian nation? Do we reflect a Judeo-Christian culture? I would say today you wouldn't know it by what you see on TV. And that's what Grant referred to last week. He said, if you want to know what's going on, watch TV. But I know better. I know a lot of you only watch the sports channel. And the other half of you are stuck on Hallmark. Um, So so let me just mention a, a couple of things just to get the obvious in front of us. Uh, abortion now um, probably a, a good number with well, the leading party in our country it's part of their platform says that uh, abortion is okay right up to the moment of birth eight months okay three weeks six days 23 hours and 59 minutes and abortion is okay how did we get here Good portion of the country can't define what a woman is. Some think men can have babies. Some think that gender reassignment and drugs and irreversible tro- procedures on children is okay with or without parental consent. Some people believe or advocate that men competing with women in sports is okay. There was even a thing out last week, if you can believe this, and it was a study out of some place. I can't quote it. I'm sorry, but they said that there are no differences, biological, physiological differences between men and women, and therefore, men competing in women's sports should be a no, should be okay. My, which begs the question: Why then aren't there women playing pro football if there are no differences? where we've come to a place in the country where just some things don't make any sense anymore. I'll end with Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, white privilege, all subjects that are intended to reprogram us as a people, to unprogram who we are, and to program us into becoming something else that has been designed or labeled as politically correct. Okay, that's, that's enough of that. What I want to say about all those things is they are intricate. Um, absolutely linked together. They are not individual issues. They are linked in the fact that they are a a concerted, organized, intentional effort to unchristianize this country. The agenda is, if it's Christian, we will take the opposite position. That's where we are in time. That's why um, you and I need to understand what's going on, that we are trying, there is a group of people trying to reprogram us and reprogram our children, okay? This is a setup. They're setting us up to be reprogrammed. I don't say this to be political. I say this because it's what will be addressed today in Daniel chapter 3. There's nothing new under the sun here. God controls your destiny and mine. That's what we're going to learn this morning. He, he controls the destiny of his people. And he will deliver us from evil. That prayer will be answered. He will deliver us from evil. So let's go to Daniel chapter 3 together. A couple of things. Just uh, some background on the book. Uh, we've done chapter 1 and chapter 2 previously from up here. Uh, it is, Daniel is a book that is written in a, a lot of apocalyptic language. That's a supernatural language with beasts and images and, and symbols and supernatural things that all represent something that we are not to see yet clearly, but we are allowed to know there, they point us to something future that's, uh, that's, uh, that's to come. It's a book, uh, apocalyptic language is always written to encourage we find it in scripture always to encourage those who are in some dire circumstance. The book of Daniel was written to the exiles. Um, the people from the, the, the lower kingdom of Judah, Babylon had captured them and were taking them into captivity. It started in about 605 B.C. By 586 B.C. they had destroyed Jerusalem and taken the majority or a good significant amount of the people from Jerusalem to Babylon to hold them in captivity. But I want you to realize what we know from the book of Daniel and from other historical sources. That didn't mean they were sitting in a jail somewhere. They weren't in handcuffs. As a matter of fact, Daniel and his buddies were treated quite well because there, there was an intent to take the brightest and the best of the youth of the day, take them back to Babylon and unprogram them from what they had been raised to be and to reprogram them into what the Babylonians wanted them to become. So they were relocated, they were renamed, and they were re-indoctrinated. That's what chapter 1 taught us. But we learned from chapter 1, and I won't go through all of that, that God was in control of those circumstances. He allowed them to go on a Daniel diet and gain weight and look healthy. And that was a supernatural event, a supernatural way. He let them know, you're in bad circumstances, but I I got your back. I'm here. Then we went to chapter 2. In chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream he could not understand. Uh, And there was an image in this dream with gold and silver and bronze and iron feet. And we learned that that represented some kingdoms to come, the kingdoms of the earth that would come. And each kingdom would come and another kingdom would come and take its place and take its place and take its place. And an inferior kingdom would keep coming and taking the place of the kingdoms until in the very end, a rock, a stone would come and crush them all. And we learned as we went through chapter two that that stone was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ ultimately would be the final kingdom. So, uh, what we have here to Daniel and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in chapter two is the idea that not only does God control of your circumstances, but God likewise, He's in control of these kingdoms, and they only serve at His pleasure. So, this brings us to chapter three. Chapter three consists of 10 scenes. And I'm just going to combine all of them and go through them pretty fast with you so we can get to the important part of the narrative. I want to point out to you one thing about Daniel chapter 3 is Daniel Daniel is not in it. This is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, we, we were left in chapter two with the fact that because Daniel interpreted the dream, he was given favor. He was put made made prominent. He was put in charge of the uh, of the Babylonian provinces. And Daniel said, "Hey, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, can my buddies come along too?" And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were likewise given a prominent status, a prominent position, and they were they were put uh, uh, over the affairs of the entire Babylon province. So these four guys were in very good shape. Daniel, it says, we leave in chapter 2, it says, but Daniel remained at the king's court. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are out there in the world, dealing with the world as it exists, as it tries to reprogram them. Chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Let me help you with that, okay? What's happened now is Daniel has interpreted the dream. Daniel's in the, in the king's court. He's doing well. Shadrach, Meshach, and are out there living in the world. They're, they're managing the affairs of all of this. And, and somehow, depending, there's a lot of time markers in the book of Daniel that give us clues historically about where we are. And some this is probably somewhere between three and nine years after that, after the dream and after their promotions and after their, they find themselves in good circumstances. So they have this, uh, this position now. It's three or nine, three to nine years later have passed. Nebuchadnezzar has made an image of gold that is about nine feet wide in breadth and 90 feet tall. A lot of gold went into that thing. Now we were told in chapter two, uh, I'm just going to back up just a little bit here and read it to you. In chapter 2, when we had this bronze figure, and it was gold at the top, silver, bronze, and whatever, the one, th- the one part of that whole statue that was identified was that uh, Daniel told, interpreted the vision, and he told Nebuchadnezzar... You're the gold, Nebuchadnezzar. The gold at the top is you. And he said back in chapter 2, You, O king, O king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom of the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven. This vision, in this vision, and Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar what the vision was. He told uh, Nebuchadnezzar, You're the man. God has put you in. He has put you in charge. And, and, and you represent the gold. So what's happened here is now we're out in uh, Endura, and about what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, he's taken this dream that he had and how it was interpreted to him, and he's trying to make it real. He's, he's trying to make it come alive in real time and space. So he builds something out of gold that represents him and his glory and all that God has given him. All right? He, he, he has misunderstood. He's, he's not clear on, entirely on the concept. Uh, of the whole thing but he's got this and lo and behold he builds it at Dura and and for you uh, geography buffs in here this Dura in the ba- uh, province of Babylon this is the precise location of the Tower of Babel. We are back at Babel revisiting the Tower of Babel and what happened to the Tower of Babel the people thought they realized we don't need God we, we, we can get to heaven on our own. We don't, we, go, we don't need God to take care of us. We can take care of ourselves. We can do just for, we are in control of things. God is not in control. We are putting ourselves in control. And so we, we're at the same place and we might guess that that's where this whole story is going, being in the same location again, that somehow Nebuchadnezzar is viewing himself as being in control and in no need of another God to do anything for him. But God controls the destiny of his people. We know that. We, learned, we have already learned that from chapter 1 and from chapter 2. We find now that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are bureaucrats. They're in the, they're in the political structure, but they're doing pretty good. Okay, uh, For the more they have been anyway, that's where this thing starts. And so uh, let, let's continue uh, in our text, starting with verse 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent... To gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Nebuchadnezzar set this up, but now he's inviting people to come. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. He set this whole thing up. He set the image up in the desert. Now he set this up that we're going we're gonna to have everybody come and gather. and We're going to dedicate this thing to, uh, to everybody. All right. So uh, th- things are progressing here. He's, he's invited uh, people to come. And um, they have responded to the invitation. And they've shown up here. Let's keep reading. And the herald proclaimed aloud... You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that you hear the sound of the hornpipe, that when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. All right, I set this thing up. Now you're looking at it. We're dedicated to it. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples' nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Nine times we're going to see this set up. This is a set up. Nebuchadnezzar's setting—he's setting something up here. He's got a plan, right? And we're trying to figure out. But let me stop just a minute here because I know I've already lost some of you, because some of you got your phones out and you're already Googling what is a trigon, right? So let's, let's rein that in. I, try, I remember when you were a little kid and you had music in class when we used to have music in the schools and the teacher would hand, go to the box and get all the musical stuff and, and pass it out and there was a little bitty triangle, silver triangle and you got to ding a the thing with the, the thing. That's a trigon, all right? But, uh, but, and what we're supposed to see here is I, I never got the trigon, okay? Um, only teacher's pets got the trigon because there was only a couple of trigons. I only got, I got a couple of lousy sticks, you know, and they would tell me just do the sticks. I never got to try. Anyways, I'll get over it. <laughs> Here's what we're supposed to see, though. All people's nations' languages showed up, and all these instruments, these are different, this, this is not a homogenous group of people. These are different cultures and different people because the kingdom of Babylon, they've conquered all kinds of people. So there's all kinds of people that have come to this thing and, and all these instruments are, are um, unique to individual cultures. You know, I mean, you might see the bagpipe in there and, and, and make that association, see what's going on. So what we've had, we've brought all kinds of people together we're going to bring all kinds of people from different places and different ideas and different cultures and we're going to all make them do one same thing, we're going to make them bow down to this statute, all right? We're going to leave behind whatever they have, whatever baggage they have, and we're going to bring them all in, we're all going to make them all do the same thing, we're going to make them all look just alike, okay? So on cue, the hills come alive with the sound of music. And as, it, as they do, the, the, the people fall down and they worship the image. Because uh, what's the option here? The option is the fiery furnace. And a fiery furnace back then was a common way of uh, executing people, you know, penalizing people. It reminds me, you, us all, should remind us all of the Holocaust and groups of people being let in and, and dealt with in a fiery furnace. I mean, this was something that was used routinely uh, back at this point in time. doesn't sound so good. So on cue, uh, the hills come alive with the sound of music, and the people bowed down and prayed to the neon God they made. A couple of you get that. The people bowed down to the neon God they made. I'm trying. Okay hello darkness my old friend i have come to see <laughs> so they bow down to the image they don't bow down to the neon god they bow down to the image and it's the image that he set up the golden image that king nebuchadnezzar had set up all right just, just to kind of summarize a little little bit right here, uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, thinks he can control the destiny, the nature the, of all these people and he can conform them to whatever he wants to conform them to be under his rule. He's bringing all these people together to to unite them and bring them and have them be what he thinks they should be okay He's going to make his dream happen in real time and real space. he's going to make sure everybody knows. He is Babylon, the king, and God has put him in charge. That's his, that's his plan. But the, but the plot thickens here. Uh, just a second here in um, verse 8. Therefore, at the time the certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Let's stop right there just a minute. Let's uh, get a little, make a little contest uh, right here. Uh, the, the Chaldeans are within the empire of Babylon. They're kind of a, a very elite group. They're wealthy, they're the elitists, they're kind of, you know, it's it's not that unusual often that, um, they're a group of of bureaucrats is what they are, but it's not that unusual, and most of you might be aware of this, you might not, but that oftentimes inside of governments there's a group of bureaucrats that sometimes uh, peddle or have influence with the leadership. And um, they are able to advance their agenda by having influence with the leadership. Sometimes. The Chaldeans here uh, are seizing the day. They have uh, seen a chance. They, they, they're seeing an opportunity here to level a playing field that they don't like the way it's currently. Uh, and they have an agenda that they want to advance. And the uh, agenda they want to advance involves them being in, in, being in power. Because you see, um, the people that are over them are Jews. David, excuse me, Daniel, has been placed over them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been placed over them. And these guys don't like it. I'm trying to think of a word for this and the best one I can come up with is racism. All right? So there's a racial thing going on here, and these Chaldeans, they're going to take care of business here, and they're going to seize the day, they're going to seize the opportunity, they're going to use this whole thing that Nebuchadnezzar has set up for his end, and they're going to use it for for their own ends. All right? They're going to rig things. They're going to try to eliminate or reprogram the oppositions. So here's what they do, verse 9. They declared to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down, worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a, a fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The Chaldeans expose Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego apparently have a problem with bound down to this statue and haven't been bound down to it. But they're not getting away with it because these guys have fingered them and have brought the situation to the king and he says it's the image that you set up they will not bound down to the image that you set up well nebuchadnezzar responds then nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that shadrach meshach and abednego be brought so they brought these men before the king nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them is it true O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, who worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into the burning, fiery furnaces, And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands?" Now, these guys have had favor. They've had favor with him all along. And I don't know if it's been three years or nine years since all that favor was there. But now they've been called in, and whatever happened before, he's, he's either forgotten it or this over, overshadows it, overpowers it. And so it, it says here he's enraged. He brings him in. And he is it true? Is it true that you've ignored me? You've ignored my instructions? Well, I'll give you two options. You either fall down and worship Or it's a fiery furnace for you. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? I am the God. I am the gold standard. It is me. There is no one other than me that can deliver you out of my hands. I'm in control of your destiny. And there is no God other than I that can control your destiny like I I, I can. It's not that unusual, I think, historically, when governments come along now and then, and there are people in those governments who think they can do whatever they want to anybody with impunity. We see that today. We see that in history. There's nothing too too new here, But, but he leaves them with the question, and who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? And I think they know the answer to that question. So they think about it for about a second and a half, And then they respond, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they had some options here, didn't they? They, 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 they could have, um, how we say, go along to get along. Well, you know, they could have got away with that. K- kept their positions. They, they could have started a, a new chapter of uh, JML, right? Jewish Lives Matter. <laughs> Did I get that right? Allen? No. Okay. Too too many uh, alphabet (laughs) soups out there. You know, they could have have complained about the supremacy, the Chaldean supremacy. You guys are just privileged and and supremacy because of your race. But they didn't do that. uh, you, You think of all the ways in our country, when confronted by stuff like this, all of the ways we devise. to to end run, to circumvent. But there's one way that works better than all the rest. Is to trust God. Trust God with circumstance. Trust, Trust Him with the whole thing. We will not observe what you have set up. Our God is able to deliver us. All right? They could well have said, I don't think this is from them though. Here I stand, I can do no other. That's the position that they took. Here I stand, I can do no other. should be familiar to you. So, we'll start in verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar responds. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound in the, into the burning fiery furnace. He's furious. It says here, it gives him a dirty look, okay, expression on his face. Light that furnace up, make it seven times hotter than it's ever been before, which is uh, the Hebrew way of saying to make it hot, make it real hot. Make it as hot as it can possibly get. Kind of reminds me of um, Elijah's miracle. Remember when he was battling Baal and the false gods and and those prophets and and Elijah was going to call down God to start a fire and he poured gallons and gallons and gallons of water on the wood before, he says, let's make this hard on God. Okay. Well, this is is kind of what's going on right here. He's trying to make this as hard as he can possibly make it. Let's make this fire as hot as it can possibly be. Nobody can save these guys from this thing. How hot was it? It burned up the guards who took them there. The guards who led the way and in there burned up, it said, and then in went Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you feel the tension? Then something happens, never happens to Steve because he can prove math (laughs) happens to me all the time I'll go a big long equation, and then what I'm waiting for is then a miracle happens (laughs) because a miracle happens in verse 24 and verse 25 then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste he declared to the counselors did we not cast three men bound into the fire they answered and said to the king, "Oh, that's true, O king." Then he answered, "I see four men unbound walking in midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods." Let me uh, say one thing here, son of the gods. Let's let's start with that. There's a real, um, did, did, uh, you and I, why do we want to go? That's Jesus in there walking with them, right? This is that's a pre-incarnate Christ. Okay, don't go there. Alright, I'm not going to take you into all the arguments, but I'm just going to tell you, this is an angel of the Lord sent there to help them, and there are reasons not to go to Jesus Christ on on that. So I'll I'll leave that there. I'll let you read it all into it yourself if you want to. But somehow God has sent someone to deliver them. Alright, operative word here being to deliver them. Daniel's not here, but the three men... Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get delivered. So um, again, what I I want us maybe to see here is it's not Daniel the prophet here, but it's those who were in faithful obedience to the Lord were delivered. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this situation are symbolic of or representative of a group of people who have faithful obedience because they know and they trust their Lord. God controls the situation they knew that he would. They knew that there was a God who could deliver them from Nebuchadnezzar's hands. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of the men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants and trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yelled at their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Nebuchadnezzar here has not professed a faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Daniel. All All he said is they got their own God. And their own God's pretty powerful, which he also learned back in chapter two. So we we come to a point here is where there's there's tension. The tension has been resolved here. Uh, The fiery furnace had no effect on them. All right? So in verse 29 and 30, what we end up with is a brand new decree. This decree says, therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their house laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Chaldean's plot didn't go so well, did it? They kind of got cooked in their own grease there. They set this whole thing up and it went south on them. It doesn't end there. Then the king promised Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province. They They got a better, they're better off than they were before, okay? Started off in a good position, went south, could have gone south for a while. We end our story in a better position and they all lived happily ever after. Let's talk. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he can control the destiny of those under his rule. And he has set things up to prove it. The Problem is, to me, I think God did a bait and switch here. He let Nebuchadnezzar think he was setting something up. But actually God was setting up Nebuchadnezzar. This, this happened at the, by the hand of God, by the sovereignty of God. It was not... Um, Nebuchadnezzar's setup, it was God who who coordinated uh, the the setup. Nebuchadnezzar thought he had the power to control those under his rule, rule, but God rules the destiny of his people, no matter who is the current ruler. Nebuchadnezzar, and I would even say the Chaldeans, meant it for evil, but God used it for good. One thing that's important here that uh, will really help us to land on what the, the real point, big idea of this is, is the fact that there's some apocalyptic imagery here that's very important, and I don't want us to miss it. Don't miss the fact that the fiery furnace is a symbol for the flames of hell. Okay? These guys were thrown into the flames of hell And they survived it. There are enemies of God then and now whose plan is to reprogram you and I right out of existence. There was a plan in this culture to get rid of them, to get rid of the Jews and get them right out of the culture, right out of existence. All right? But God controls the destiny of his people. And only God, in His sovereignty, has the authority over hell and its inhabitants. If you should ever have the misfortune of going to hell, you won't see a little guy running around in a red suit there with horns. You will see God Almighty. God Almighty is the executor, the administrator of hell, and it is His wrath that people experience in that fiery furnace. But you and I have been delivered from that. His own need not fear the fires of hell. And now, our day and our time. There are people trying to get rid of, to abolish, to reprogram the Judeo-Christian culture out of the country, and they've been very successful at it. We will learn in other places in Scripture and in other chapters in Daniel that for a season, God allows this to happen. For a specified number of days, God allows things such as this to happen. Nebuchadnezzar did his best to get rid of and to undo and to reprogram and to be done with the Jewish nation. A couple of years later, about 160 B.C., a bad guy named Antiochus Epiphanes did the same thing. He, took, he seized the temple in Jerusalem. He stole all the treasures out of it. He, his God was Zeus, the Greek God. He, he had animals and pigs. and uh, he, had, he sacrificed pigs on the altar in there. And there was a Maccabean revolt. And then somehow what uh, Antiochus Epiphanes tried to, how he tried to get rid of Judaism in its entirety and Hellenize the whole world, it failed. The Romans tried the same thing in 70 A.D., they destroyed Jerusalem, did they not? They scattered the Jews. They were tired of dealing with these people. Let's get rid of them. These things reoccur in history over and over again. That's ethnic cleansing. There was a German guy a while back did some ethnic cleansing, if I'm not mistaken. There's a class of bureaucrats, elites, in our own day, in our own country, that are trying to deprogram Christianity out of the country. Christianity is for it they're against it. All those things I read off to you going on in our country in, at the beginning of this sermon here, there's no scriptural basis for any of it. It's all nonsense. It's, it's designed to be unchristian. The book of Re- we're not done though. The book of Revelation speaks of an antichrist who's going to come and in the end he's going to do it again. He's going to do everything he can in his power to wipe out the Christians, to wipe out the kingdom of God. We should know that that's what's coming. Here's why we know, how we know what's coming. Go ahead, give me that first one. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Next one. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and gave him glory. Next one. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Next one. The devil, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever. The book of Daniel, as as we've gone through it on Friday nights and I haven't got you there yet, is in direct parallel to the book of Revelation. But the book, it talks about the fiery furnace and all the events that happened back then are paralleled in the book of Revelation. You can't study the book of Revelation without having a really good understanding of Daniel first. One book precedes and is, is the pre, prequel to the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation tells us what's going to happen in the end. So how then shall we live? Next verse. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Kings such as this have been unleashed on us for a time. Daniel went in as a young man, probably 7, 8, 10 years old. We know that he left the first, he was there until the Cyrus decree. When Cyrus took over, the Persians took over, that would make him 80 years old. He lived his whole life under these circumstances. People trying to wipe his people out. And him and, faith, and his friends in faithful obedience resisting it. How then shall we live? Because no one's told us, no one is promising us from this pulpit that it's going to be easy. We're going to live in this. We're going to, most of us are going to die in this. It's the way it is. It's the plan of God. But rejoice, because we know the end of the story. And if you don't know the end of the story, and you don't accept the end of the story here, that there is a stone coming to crush these kings... And that the stone that comes in the end and crushes them will be the stone promised to crush the heel of Satan. Not everybody gets delivered. Faithful obedience does not get you delivered. Faithful obedience is the evidence that you have been delivered. Christ's death on the cross and your faith in that When you understand you were delivered when that cross was taken down. When that event was over. If you believe what happened on that cross, then you have been delivered. You have no fear of hell. If you don't believe in what happened on the cross, if it's not real to you yet, if you're still playing games, if you're still going along to get along... You came into this world condemned, and you remain condemned. That fiery furnace is apocalyptic in Daniel, and it's, apoca- it's telling us real time in Revelation, it's a real place. And the wrath of God is in that place, and it will be on you if your faith is not genuine. Faithful obedience is the evidence of those who are delivered and of those who have been delivered. Friends, if you believe in the cross, you have been delivered. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy, but I'm telling you someday, some way, we will be delivered. What's our prayer? Um, Deliver us from evil. That day's out there and it's coming. Jesus, we just come to you this morning. We know we live in in bad times, but we also realize from history and from the pages of Scripture that other people have been here before us and faithfully, in faithful obedience, live their lives. We pray this morning that in faithful obedience our true faith, genuine faith, would be evidenced. We pray this morning, Father, that you inspire us, you use these stories to teach us the reality of the spiritual realms. And what awaits us, both those of us who believe and to those of us who do not. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I thank you for revealing yourself to us in these chapters. You are not just sovereign over our circumstances. You are not just sovereign over history and kingdoms. But you are sovereign over, over the fact that we stand delivered. It's in your name we pray. Amen.